Hello and welcome to the Galway Film Podcast. It is day five. We are still standing and surviving thanks to good old coffee beans. Uh, but it's been a fantastic week and the mayhem continues right into the weekend. Short films getting underway again today. Let's have a chat with Eve. Eve Conz O'Brien, how are you holding up on day five now of the Galway Film Flat? Um, a little bit exhausted. <laughs> a little bit exhausted, but still feeding off everyone else's excitement and uh, thrill and it, like the feedback particularly for the shorts um, this year has been out of this world I've just been really happy um, and the audiences have been really engaged and like looking for the laughs and looking for the you know the, the tears um, so I've totally been living off those vibes off those fumes I was standing outside the Town Hall Theatre uh, yesterday after one of the shorts series were screened and just the drove of crowds coming out afterwards it's just fantastic to see the energy and the enthusiasm and the hunger now for people getting involved in short films. Hopefully it, there's a new surge happening in the industry where people are seeing the value of making a short film. 100%. And I think yesterday in particular, we had quite a few comedies in there, which like even when I started, it's very hard to get an Irish comedy and an Irish comedy that works. But they're starting to kind of, people are t- taking a few gambles uh, and and then I have to take a few gambles by programming that, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like for the audience. And they absolutely loved them yesterday. Like the laughter, it's definitely one of my top five fla moments, just the laughter in the room. Uh, like, and it was bold laughter as well. It was just a group of 300 people bold laughing, you know, when you shouldn't be laughing, but it was so funny. So that is great. And, you know, that turnover of the first programme was nearly sold out and the second one was was jammers that sold out. So the turnover of even trying to get those people in and out and then back in and back out and like the filmmakers, the turnover, like it, it's it's so fantastic to see because it's what the filmmakers deserve. You know, we spoke about this and they need, they deserve that platform and they deserve that support. So it is nice when the audiences turn out and the excitement is there and the buzz is there and the, they get that town hall steps moment that they were hoping for. And there's always Oscar buzz about the Galway Philip Fla and Part of that is because there's three categories that'll get Oscar qualification from the Galway Film Flat, but you also have Oscar winners here this morning as well at the Flat. Yeah, we're really excited that Tom and Ross have come back um, with their new film, The Golden West. So they obviously won for The Irish Goodbye earlier on in the year. So it's really nice they've come back to us um, because we Irish premiered the film here last year. So they've come back and it's nice to welcome them back uh, and and welcome them back as Oscar winners. They've had such a big year um, that they they really deserve the admiration that this film is going to give them. It's very, very different than The Irish Goodbye, but it's equally as rewarding and maybe a little bit cheekier, a little bit funnier even. Um, So people are really going to really going to like it and what's interesting is the angle always was you do your short and then you do your feature film but we're seeing more and more just like the lads that we spoke about people are carrying on doing shorts that this whole thing of you have to short before you do a feature it doesn't connect anymore no definitely not and like Yorgos Lanthimos uh, still makes shorts like you still, we get submissions from his sales agent. Um, so if he can still make shorts, we can also make shorts. So yeah, there's definitely, you know, people, I think particularly writer directors are aware of like, I have this moment in time that I want to share and um, the story that I want to tell. And they're like, hey, it doesn't need 
to be this big long feature. It can be, or it can be a short. And some people will use the short as a proof of concept for that feature. Not always a huge fan of that because I think you can smell it a mile off, but sometimes it naturally progresses. They're like, oh, this story is a story that I want to share more of. Lily, for an example, Graham Cantwell's short, that became a feature film and there wasn't any plans for that to be, but Lily was such a great character and uh, Clara gave such a great performance that like, it called for, for that space. And since and before and after that, you know, Graham st- still makes shorts. So um, to be able to see that is, is fantastic. And it's really nice that um, that people are, are still coming back to shorts and appreciating shorts for their own art form. So finally, then, what can we uh, expect this afternoon? Uh, this afternoon, um, so we've got no more world shorts. We're done with our world shorts, all of which sold out crazy. It was really good, really nice group of filmmakers. Um, I got a phone call from a friend of mine after, um, during the week, like one of the programs during the week that they've all molded together, but with the last call in it in particular, um, which is a, a lovely uh, short directed by Harry Holland and him and his family were over. But he, um, they left the screening and they're just absolutely destroyed. Like it was particularly impactful and upsetting. Um, and I just love getting like you know usually it's like that was so funny or that was so great but just having people's just raw emotions is fantastic so uh, the world shirts are done uh, and they've gone off now to some other fantastic festivals so uh, we have their Screen Ireland shorts which has been sold out from day dot that Tuesday they go pretty much straight away and people are scrambling for tickets now Um, and then we go into tomorrow with uh, animation and documentary so uh, still still a while to go yet and is there tickets still available for any of those screenings at the moment there is for Sunday but I would say everything just seems to be selling out um, people tend to leave the animations in the morning to last minute because Sunday a little bit hungover but I'd say if, if anybody wanted to get them to get them today before they're gone. Eve, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And as Eve was saying tickets are selling very fast for the shorts so head over to the Galway Film Flat website for your chance to secure tickets for the final screening of shorts tomorrow morning. Now also on this morning is a bilingual documentary. It's uh, just around an hour and it is called Radical Hearts, telling the story of eight female couples who were at the heart of the Irish Revolution that freed Ireland from the British Empire and the fact that these women were likely lesbians. So Dave, Radical Hearts currently screening at the Palace Cinema and I would assume at some stage it will be screened or broadcast on TJ Cahart's from writer-director Kira Highland. What did you make of this documentary? It's a very important topic, this, um, you know, the fact that, you know, when you think back, to, and I mentioned this in the documentary, that in 1993, uh, we're all old enough here to remember that time, uh, you know, being gay in Ireland was illegal. You went to jail if you were a gay man. Um, but I didn't actually know that it, that if you were lesbian, it wasn't illegal. And of course, they bring that up in this documentary. But in terms of like social um, convention and everything, nowadays, thank goodness, these things are all out in the open. But back in the day, these things were, were you know, taboo and all the rest. So bringing these things to, to the fore is very important. And from a historical standpoint, being queer or gay or lesbian or whatever, LGBTQ or whatever the term is, those things were around before the English language was invented. You know, these are historical, human, natural things. So this documentary kind of brings these things to the fore and highlights the fact that all these historical figures were gay. In this case, you know, these le- ladies were lesbians. Um, and yet they were still powerful, heroic women who did a lot of work for uh, socialism, the labor movement, and of course, the rising uh, in, in Ireland. And uh, it's a very interesting documentary. I mean, 
the truth be told, I, th- I don't think it needed, you know, the entire 60, 70 minutes. Maybe they just pushed it to get it to feature length status because I think there was a li- they stretched it out a little bit too much, in my opinion. That's just my observation. But in terms of the subject matter, it's very important. In terms of the way it was put together, the recreations were very good. Um, the music was very good. The talking heads, I hate to see so many talking heads in the documentary because I want to see rather than listen to people talking. Um, but it, overall, I think it was it was well put together. I mean, it's hard in that sense, considering that we're talking about people who, you know, were active 110 years ago or so. So really, it's photographs and some sort of reenactments. Yeah. And, and historians, you know, academics who have read and researched all of these things. I have to say, one of the most interesting things I liked about this, this documentary, and let me be clear, I like this documentary. It's a good documentary. I just think it, you know, it was, it was a bit too much flesh on the bones over, over-egged in terms of time. But the the concept of these historians reading through diaries and letters and stuff and having to extrapolate and infer that these women were lesbians because they didn't, they weren't able to explicitly say that they were in a romantic relationship, same sex, because if that ever evidence ever came out, they would be in trouble and all the rest of it. And one of the most poignant things about it was that two of the women whose names escaped me, the only one I remember is Constance Markovic, but was that after the rising, these women who were soldiers, who did, you know, work, they didn't get any support from the government because they were anti-treaty, perhaps, and also maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps that they were LGBTQ or they were, they were shunned from society because they weren't tradition, didn't have a traditional home life, who knows, but the fact that in this day and age, we all find that shocking, that these people, these women were doing career work snipers in their own right fighting for our freedom from you know the empire and then after the dust settles they were cast aside by an even potentially worse you know catholic imperialist society that took over for a short period thankfully we got rid of that kind of nonsense now but uh, very important documentary very good um and as you said probably be on tg Carter pretty soon hopefully um but uh for me, just a little bit long in terms of the, the that's my only criticism, otherwise uh, very good. And the um, the artistic nature of the recreations was, was very nice as well, really well done. Lisa, it, the documentary kind of focuses slightly on how much Ireland is progressing in, in recent years in, in terms of equality and so on. But it's also very sad that, you know, we're talking about people who were active in the revolution over 100 years ago and only now that this story is being told it shows or it makes one question how much progress really we have made as a society well i am glad i saw this documentary because i was not aware of the amount of women that were actually involved in the movement like at all it's it's really it's really telling of our history that it's kind of whitewashed that we don't see the nitty-gritty like that like women were always portrayed as like the nurses and the the healers and all that kind of stuff and the women dancing at the crossroads and all that but that was a different oldie ireland that uh that we, we were just led to believe existed that probably didn't really exist because these women they were all fighters they all wanted equality and not just for themselves and not just for their own um like same-sex relationships or, or sexuality or anything like that, but they wanted it for the poor and they wanted workers' rights and all that. So it's just it's just a great um, 
exploration into the time that it was and it's it's great to see that we have these things like their diaries and all that that like we we can see the love that was there and the like the relationships and the history and all that like it's they're great historians that have unearthed all these stories so i think hats off to them for putting a well well produced documentary together and uh, i did like the reenactments and the uh, the style of the the piece all together and it follows the women as well from the revolution right up to their elder years and the relationship they had and you know one dying of a broken heart when another one passes away like it's yeah i mean they're real stories yeah. you're just you, you can't you can't tell but you feel a little bit of emotion watching it because you know they they are real of course they're real people they're real stories this is time immemorial this is going on so uh you know it's it's life c'est la vie Okay, well, that is Radical Horror screening at 11 this morning at the Galway Film Fla. And as I said, if you don't get a chance to catch it, which you may not if you're only listening to the podcast now, the main thing is it should be on TG Cahar, I'm sure, in the coming weeks, if not months. And it's definitely one to look out for. And it certainly does educate one as well in seeing how many women were bravely involved in the Irish Revolution. Now, there's loads of things going on, not just at the Palace Cinema and the Town Hall Theatre this week during the Galway Film Flat, but there's a lot of events taking place as well for those working in the industry at the Galmont Hotel. Screen Ireland have a number of events that Gar O'Brien Collins is involved in as well. And yesterday, there was a great discussion on sustainability and implementing a sort of green strategy in the Irish film industry, what has been done at the moment, what needs to be done next. After that discussion, I caught up with chairperson of Screen Green Coalition, John Gormley. John, can you tell us about today's discussion in the Galmont Hotel organised by Screen Ireland? Well, this is the second year running now that we've had a discussion on sustainability within the screen industry. And as you say, I'm chair of Screen Greening, which is a coalition of some of the main broadcasters and uh, some of the screen institutes. So we have as members RTE, Virgin, also TG Cahar. Uh, we also have uh, members here you know, of Screen Producers Ireland uh, and, of course, Screen Ireland. So uh, it's a very broad coalition. We're, in fact the only country in the world that has such an umbrella group and we're seen as um, out in front you know in many parts of Europe because of that as you can hear you know today you know from this discussion that uh, there are people out there who are very enthusiastic about greening our industry reducing the carbon footprint um, it can be done in many ways but the main discussion today was about changing over to vehicles uh, which are perhaps an alternative to the Diesel. Um, so diesel generators and diesel trucks are the main culprits when it comes to CO2 emissions on films. And uh, we are coming up with alternatives. Uh, and um, I'm glad to say that we're making substantial progress on that, as we have over the last four years since our foundation. I think what's important as well from the discussion today is that this whole thing isn't scary. It's quite doable. You know what needs to be done. Uh, and you're there to support people working in the industry to do it. It's not kind of slapping people on the wrist for not being sustainable. Yeah, one of the uh, young sustainability advisors here today, Alex de Valera, uh, works as a sustainability advisor. And the point she was making is that the carrot will always be better than the stick. You know, that you encourage people, you coax them along. And if you can do that, 
you know, you're going to get the cooperation of people on the set. You know, it's, it is a challenge. Make no mistake about it. Um, climate change is the biggest challenge that we now face. Every sector of society is going to have to change. The film industry has a huge role to play, not just, I think, in reducing emissions, but also putting forward a message of positivity and uh, a solutions-orientated approach to climate change. And uh, I think it's doable, but it's going to be, uh, it is going to be difficult. I don't underestimate the extent of the challenge. But certainly something that has been underestimated were the stark figures that you gave people at the end of today's discussion with the way things are going in terms of global temperatures. Well, there's no doubt. Uh, it's unprecedented. Uh, never in the history of our planet have we seen such fluctuations. I mean, we know from geological studies, uh, we can now tell what the temperature variations have been. But at the moment, satellite images of Spain show that the surface temperature in parts of Spain is 60 degrees Celsius. It's completely off the charts. We know just on our doorstep here that out in the Atlantic it was five degrees warmer. These are stark facts. And we are undoubtedly heading very rapidly to exceeding the 1.5 degrees warming, which is part of the Paris Agreement. I frankly don't see any way at the moment on the current trajectory that we uh, can keep within that 1.5 degrees. I'm hoping that once we exceed it, that the penny will finally drop and people will understand that this is actually an emergency. I mean, we talk about it. We've, we've heard people talking in the doll about an existential crisis. If it really is an existential crisis, which means, of course, that it's a matter of life and death, then we should act, you know, accordingly. But we're not. It's, it's, it's the rhetoric is there, but the action, unfortunately, is failing. And you yourself have been involved in politics for a long time and you would have been, you know, pushing for action to have been taken on climate change a long, long time ago. Have things improved or do you, think, do you think people are still really slowly copping on to what's happening? Well, one of the speakers today reminded me, uh, and, you know, it's a salutary lesson, I suppose. He said that back in 1994, when I was Lord Mayor of Dublin, that's almost, you know, 30 years ago, that... I introduced um, vegetable oil alternative for the car, which reduces the emissions very substantially. I was talking about climate change all those years ago. And uh, I just see now that we're waking up to that and saying, oh, you know, this is an alternative. But that's 30 years later. Uh, you know, I see Dublin Port now saying they're going to use vegetable alternative. But, you know, the fact is that when I did it, it was a joke. It was seen as the butt of a joke. I remember it distinctly, like they were going into chip shops around Dublin saying, what do you think of this peculiar mayor that we have who's using vegetable oil? Because a lot of the vegetable oil came from chippers at the time. So they went up to Burdocks and interviewed people uh, and said, well, this guy's a bit strange, isn't he? Fact of the matter is that we have been dragging our feet and 30 years is a long time. Had we actually engaged properly on the issue because we did know remember that the first climate change conference and i attended it in berlin was in 1995 and i remember saying at that stage look we have 10 years a windows of 10 a window of 10 years now we did have actually 10 years back then but i hear people even now saying oh we have 10 years we don't we don't it's gone those 10 years are gone now we're way 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 we've used up our time 
So it's an enormous challenge and uh, I, I hope that we can get our act together. Uh, but, you know, you just keep trying. That's all you can do. Finally then, John, for those working in the industry listening to this podcast today, where can they go to get more information and practical advice on the tools that they need to start implementing on set? There's no problem at all. I mean, they, all of this information is available on the uh, Screen Ireland website. You'll get it there. Uh, you'll get it on the Screen Greening website. You know, you'll get it on, for example, um, the website of Comashoon the Man. There's a huge, uh, you know, there's so many different sources of, of very good, solid information and uh, they should access those websites. And plenty taking place today as well at the Galmont Hotel, including an actor's masterclass from Matthew Mondine. And I'm sure there's a lot of actors who have traveled the length and breadth of the country to get to that today. Of course, he starred in Full Metal Jacket, Stanley Kubrick's movie from the late 80s. He's in The Dark Knight Rises, which is on constant play there on the Sky Movie channels. And he's also in The Martini Shot, which screened earlier this week at the Galway Film Flash. So anyone who's going to that today, I hope you really enjoy it. Now let's head back to what is happening on the silver screen this evening. And one film screening at 4.30 this afternoon in the Town Hall Theatre is Made in Dublin from director Jack Armstrong and star Stuart Cullen. Maya O'Shea, who of course was in Verdigree, who I spoke to earlier this week, and a whole other cast of young actors. Lisa, can you tell us about this Irish-Portuguese co-production, which is getting its world premiere this afternoon at the Galway Film Flat? Made in Dublin is a story about a young actor who is, he seems to have all the things stacked against him. He's looking after his mother, he's got no money, he's not getting any roles, he's getting fired from his job. And he's trying to get an audition uh, with a big, hot, shot Irish Hollywood director. Who snubbed him, basically. Who snubbed him and, and made him lose his job. And it was all very dramatic. And then we cut to the director out in Hollywood living his life. And I think that's where the Portuguese element comes in, because I think it was filmed in Portugal. Um, so he is out in Hollywood and he's with his wife and he's getting interviewed or she's getting interviewed, but he's all washed up. Nobody wants to interview him. But he is, he's an Oscar winner, he's BAFTA winner, he's, he's somebody. So we're, we're cutting to six months previous and six months forward and then the next day. So it's, it's quite, um, it, it jumps a little bit that you're just like, okay, okay, this is where we are again. So we, we cut to six months ahead of time or back in the present, wherever. And uh, he's in Dublin and he's got like escorts with him in the restaurant and we see the young actor guy who's the waiter and you see their interaction again you see from a different angle but then the story cuts to a different story and it's the maitre d in the restaurant and it's all these kind of like little stories that kind of fill up the middle third of the movie that you're just like you want to see them fleshed out some more uh with um particularly Maya O'Shea she plays our actor friend whose name escapes me right now um, she plays his friend and then she, there's her own story that is kind of fleshed out with like a therapist and, and a court case and, and a femme fatale situation going on. And you want to see that. So there's, and then there's like the gangster element of the movie and, uh, that with the maitre d' and all that with the gardening and the redemption and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, there's like three stories in this movie at least. And I would have preferred to see more fleshed out of the other two stories. 
because uh, this one it goes back to the director and the actor again and it gets it gets dark at the end it a gets little, doesn't very it? dark very yeah. very quickly and it comes out of nowhere in a little way but you know it's not it's 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 got merit i mean i think fair play to them for getting this this made in this yeah, yeah. in this climate um especially with their budget you know they got to go to portugal via hollywood so that's really good there was a lot of fine performances in this film it's it's a it's a little tale you know it's it's a adventure tale if you will. i think anyone working in the industry especially actors will relate to it in the sense of you're you know you're constantly getting pushbacks and you're dealing maybe sometimes with people in the industry no matter where they are in the world who are kind of feel that they've done extremely well and they belittle other people thankfully you don't get that in the irish film industry oh, i'm sure no. but <laughs> you know um i've seen it myself in Cannes and stuff you know you do come across massive egos with certain people in the industry who are you know, consider themselves at a higher level to anyone else. But look, I, I'm sure it's extremely hard for anyone struggling in the industry. And I kind of, I think actors will relate to that. I mean, Dave, you've done plenty of acting in the past as well. Do you, do you get the angle I'm coming from on this? Absolutely. I mean, years ago when I studied acting, I realized that it's a really difficult business. And uh, anytime I've been on the other side of the table, you know, in the work that I do now, I, I have to audition people occasionally for for pieces of content that I have to make. And you just realize that these people are walking into an audition room and you have to show them respect. And if there's any directors or casting directors or producers listening, put your phone on silent, close the laptop. These people are giving you five minutes of their time to show you their talent and skills and you're looking for something. So pay attention, be respectful. The phone can wait, put it on silent. If I'm ever directing anything... Uh, whether it's stage or anything, the first people I say after I say cut or let's reset is the actors. The technicians are busy doing their own thing. The, uh, you know, the DPs and the rest of it. But the actors are the ones putting their heart and soul out there. So I always go to them first and take care of them. So watching the scenes, the montage at the beginning where this actor character is being disrespected, it is soul-destroying. But I, sadly, it's probably more true than it should be. But having said that, back to the movie, yeah, I think that the... This movie w was trying a bit too hard, in my opinion, to be, you know, Tarantino-esque in terms of the different chapters. And we meet person A, Mr. This, and then Mr. That. And some of the performances, as Lisa said, were excellent. But some of them were just a bit too... They changed beat too quickly. There was no earning it. Like, the, the finale of this film, I didn't think was earned. The young actor guy, at the, there was, wasn't even a hint of psychopaths out of him throughout the whole movie until the very last scene suddenly he's a psychopath and not that convincing because he didn't take a journey to get there. Suddenly he's got a knife and he's ranting and raving and I'm like, where did this come from? Like 20 minutes before in the timeline, he was having a few pints with his best friend and he tried to kiss her and she rejected him, but he was, didn't go mad like. And there's one little scene where he's like, oh, and next thing he's pulling a knife on a man. Like it just, I, I didn't buy it. That particular thing just fell, felt a little bit of a damn squib for me, ironically. But, you know, the concepts around this movie were good. As Lisa said, there were some vignettes in it that were just really juicy. I'm like, you know what? I'd like to follow this story more. So it just felt a little bit imbalanced. Like the story that kind of emerged to be the crescendo wasn't the story that I, that, that, that I wanted as an audience. The, like the story of that Maya O'Shea, the character that she played was really interesting. And I know we waxed lyrical about her in her other film this week, but like she's a, she's a really magnetic actor. Her character was really interesting in this, and um, 
her little femme fatale revenge against men stuff was was really interesting and like there's a movie in that alone and her character tended to be very much sidelined and all of the gangsters were sidelined there was too many interesting characters created in this film and then sidelined so the end of the film we had two characters that weren't really the strongest characters now again i'm talking about the characters here not the actors the actors all did a pretty good job of carrying this but just in terms of the structure of the movie i just felt like they pulled the wrong pieces of the puzzle out and put them on the top for me but you know a lot of merit in this film uh, it looked really good um the production design was good with probably a limited budget and uh you know it's an interesting film so you know go and see it and see what you think and challenge me i'm happy to talk about it yeah and in fairness i have to say when you compare it to kind of some of the you know irish low budget content coming out a few years ago this is miles ahead like so there's definitely great progress being made and everyone knows it's not easy to put a movie together so well done to jack armstrong and all the cast and crew involved in this movie in making made in dublin which gets its world premiere this afternoon at the galway film flat before we move on to our next review i just want to give a shout out to a documentary which is getting its world premiere this evening at palace screen three and it is a documentary called Hungry Hill. And it's really interesting. It is basically about a group of farmers from kind of the Belgium, Holland area uh, who had to leave their land in the 1980s. And these sheep farmers moved to the southwest of Ireland. And it tells their story. And they're still living here uh, as day-to-day sheep farmers in the community. And it's just a very, very interesting story. Uh, you know, and talks about the impact of globalization and um, even the reason why they had to leave uh, their native land originally. So uh, that's one to look out for as well if you're looking for a good documentary this evening, getting its world premiere at seven o'clock. So in fairness, just to say as well, there's some movies that we aren't reviewing because we know that they are completely sold out and there isn't a chance at all of getting a ticket. So we don't want to be teasing you, the listener, talking about a movie, recommending you go and see it when we know in our heart and souls that there's no tickets available for it. And one of those movies is Lies We Tell from director Lisa Mulcahy. And it stars an actor that everyone is talking about, Agnes O'Casey, who, of course, is a granddaughter or great-granddaughter of Sean O'Casey. But there's a great cast as well besides Agnes. But Agnes is up for a Bingham Ray New Talent Award. And David Wilma, Chris Wally, Holly Sturton are, are also starring in Lies We Tell. A lot of people talking about this movie. A lot of people looking forward to it. You probably won't get a ticket for it tonight, but don't worry. It will definitely be in a cinema near you very soon. But the final feature we're going to look at for today's podcast is a feature documentary called The Graceless Age, The Ballad of John Murray, which screens at half eight tonight at the Palace Cinema, telling the story of American singer-songwriter from Mississippi, John Murray. And to be honest with you, I didn't know anything about him. I know he released an acclaimed album in 2013, and he had another great album following up a year later. I think it was called A Short History of Decay. And this is a documentary from Sarah Shear, getting its world premiere tonight at the Galway Film Fla. And I didn't know what to make of this documentary or what my expectations were, considering I didn't know anything about John Murray and the more I watched this documentary and the more the story unfolded my god there's a lot up to this man and what he's gone through and it's it's explained so well as to where he is today and the situations he went through based on his upbringing and Mississippi and so on 
Yeah, I was in a similar position. I didn't know John Murray. I'm very thankful that I do now. Um, a, a very talented man, a very tortured man. Uh, the story of his life thus far has been tragic um, through no fault of his own. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, drug addiction is, is a disease, not a choice. But he has survived and come through. His talent is undeniable. His talent is on show in this film. Uh, it's it's blended lovely, you know, in a really lovely way through uh, art, animation. When he's te- retelling stories, it's not a flashback. It's an animated version with a really talented artist, which I think is, is one of the artists that's, that features in, in the documentary. I'm not sure. I didn't get a chance to, to sit through the credits. I had to run out and watch something else. Um, but it's a really interesting, really well put together documentary. I mean, it's a classic structure of... Uh, a famous, not a famous musician, but a successful musician going back through their life on a road trip, revisiting their hometown kind of thing. Um, but this one is really well done. The tone, uh, John is a very charismatic guy. He's very, you know, softly spoken and he barely moves his jaw when he's talking, which is weird for a singer, but his, his music is, you know, I don't know if it's bluegrass or blues or whatever, but he's, I'm not a big music guy. I'm a movie guy. That's why I'm here. But he, his, his music is brilliant. And um, as a person, he has triumphed over, you know, he, he talks about, you know, being attacked and molested and raped as a child by other children, which is just terrific. And when he was in a, a care home uh, as a young man and his parents were lied to by the these the people running this place and so on and so forth. And he has a daughter and he's trying and he came to Ireland and he found peace in Ireland and he found and he went through heroin addiction and he nearly died. And, everything. and all of these things are depicted in the documentary with animation and it's just really well done and then the live action stuff is lovely and relaxing he's traveling through mississippi and he's visiting elvis's hometown at tupelo and elvis's home the physical place where elvis was born all this kind of stuff so really interesting documentary really interesting character i actually want to know more about his music now after watching this documentary and um sarah share like she directed this and put this together uh, we've talked about this before. Documentaries can be put together in a million different ways. You know, I could take all the footage that Sarah had there and recut it in a different way. So, but she has done this in such a good way. Uh, the journey, the locations, both in terms of the journey of, you know, geographically, but all the journey through his life and um, the way he has found a little bit of peace in his life. It's, uh, it's an excellent documentary and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he seems to be a real character. Like he's a performer for certain scenes and everything and it starts off so majestic at the start uh, do you know is it the cliffs of moher or yeah. something and there he is lying on the rocks and it's it's quite theatrical but you know it's him at the same like yeah he's a performer but he's not putting on a performance if that makes sense yeah he he, he his performances are from the pain that he has brought to his life like he seems exhausted all the time and he's got a cigarette in his mouth all the time because he's just trying to cope with what life has thrown at him and life has thrown a lot at him and you know the history of his life like he was adopted and it's all there in the movie he was adopted by this well-to-do family who are linked to um william faulkner the the writer and that's you know so he has a connection to to that legacy and you know he's a tortured soul and they say you have to suffer for your art this man has suffered and thankfully his art is is (laughs) really well polished but uh fantastic documentary very interesting guy you gotta go see this yeah, again, as I said, it wasn't, it was a documentary that I didn't really know anything about. I'm so glad, like Dave, that I did see it because I think people really enjoy if they go and see this documentary tonight. Absolutely. Loved it. Love his music. Everything about this film is, or this documentary is, um, 
on point. The, the animation is superb. I think it's an Irish animator that did it, who I think is featured in the movie, because I did stay for the credits. Um, but it, his his music is just what carries it through. Like, it's it's brilliant. And it's it's not all... It's not all folksy, bluesy. It's not all the same. Like there's punk in there. There's, there's jazz. There's everything. But it's just really good. And he seems like a really good person. So I really enjoyed it because, you know, he's just, you just want to give him a hug if you see him. Well, you might see him at the flag because I think he's been here all week, actually. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, There's certain stories that he tells and then he could be driving his car or something. And one of his songs comes on and the lyrics from that song pop up on the screen as text in relation to the story he just told. Um, wow, when you read those lyrics on the screen. It's harrowing. It's stuff. harrowing, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it shows how poetic he is as a lyricist as yeah. well as a, a songwriter. Yeah, well, the writing talent is there in the family. And uh, unfortunately, the addictions were also there with Faulkner and his wife. But, uh, you know, th- he's just, he's a good soul. And I, I, I'm really glad this documentary was made. So I'm like, I'm aware of, like, I know my cool friends already knew about him, but uh, <laughs> I didn't. So um, I'm really glad to hear his music and really glad to see his story and get it seen at the flash. So fair place to them for uh, getting it made. And it's amazing, you know, you never know who's walking the streets of Galway, Kilkenny, Longford mm. and the history that they have and at one stage he he is back home and someone in a petrol station recognizes him and meets him and she's so excited and it's great to see and he's like yeah yeah i'll sit down and have a coffee with you and have a chat and it comes across that he's just such a good soul yeah and i hope he has a fantastic time here in galway so that's the world premiere which is amazing of the graceless age the ballad of john murray screening tonight at half eight at the palace cinema that's it for this episode. We've one more to go. The final day of the Galway Film Fla. Hopefully we'll survive. If we make it. If we make it. Lisa and Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Welcome. And enjoy all that today has to offer at the Fla. Mm-hmm.